If you listen to your body when it whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. That is a great quote. Perfect for this episode of Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Heal. I'm excited to introduce a new friend. She doesn't know that she's my new friend, but she's my new friend, Sanyana Clark. She is a spiritual anxiety coach, and she is based in London. I'm so excited to have you. Hello. Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm delighted. I'm so happy. We've had a lot of different type of, um, okay, so what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say spiritual people um energy type people coaches but a lot of people unlike this but I happen to strongly believe that every single person like you Sanyana um has a special gift and there are people out there to hear your story um there are people out there to hear the other person's story there are people out here to hear my story so I think that you are going to connect with so many of my listeners. I'm so happy Thank to you. have you. I'd love to talk about your spiritual anxiety coaching business. But before we get to that, I want to know why you decided to get into that. Usually, um, okay, so I earlier I said I don't usually say these things, but I'm going to say it. When you're, five, when you're five years old and you're headed to school, you don't usually say things like um, when your teacher asks you, what do you yeah. want to be when you grow up? Spiritual anxiety coach. <laughs> so what brought you here? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was even a thing in those days, was it? A spiritual anxiety coach. I think it's quite a new term. Um, <clears throat> when I was five, I said I wanted to be magic and read people's You are. Did you? That's, I really did. And my you, had the, said, you knew that that's what you were going to do. Oh, my gosh. And my mum said, <clears throat> oh, you don't want to read people's minds. And I was like, no, I really do want to read people's minds. I'm curious. <laughs> um, but growing up, I probably, the kind of theme through it was I wanted to look after people in a yeah. caring capacity. So <clears throat> I'd looked at things like nursing as a possible career. I didn't actually go into that at all. I was... I'm incredibly rubbish at science. So nursing was not. <laughs> I think I would fail on many levels. I would fail yeah. on the science part, the blood part, the um, handling traumatic situations part. <laughs> I, I, no, so I don't mind the blood. I don't mind. I love x-rays. I love seeing people's x-rays and things like that. But um, that's probably more bio- your curiosity piece of yeah. your mind, you know, like really yeah. wanting to get deep and understanding someone's exactly. insides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my biology teacher said to me, um, you'll either get an A or an F because because <sighs> like my like in class, I was doing quite well. But when it came to an exam, I was really rubbish. So I actually um, I so my kind of life story is quite interesting in as much as I had quite a disrupted childhood. Mm-hmm. So uh, my parents had come to the UK from India, from Calcutta in India. It's known as Kolkata now um, in 1966 as newlyweds. And they didn't know anyone. My dad was training to be an accountant. Um, he had came with a job. 
with a company that I think doesn't exist anymore called Gestetner. They were a printing company, quite international in those days. Mm-hmm. And my mum didn't have a job, but got a job in the Inland Revenue, actually, the tax office. Wow. Um, and um, they got pregnant with me. And so my mum went back to India to have me and left me there when I was six weeks old. because She had so- to come back. Was that a common, um, is that a common cultural thing to have you stay there with family or does she um, need to get back with her job? Why do you think? To, yeah, so she had to come back for work because there was no maternity leave as we know it today. I mean, the UK has very generous maternity leave here. I know the States doesn't in comparison, um, but in the 60s there wasn't. Uh, so I think there was partly that and partly my family over there persuaded her that I was too young to travel. Oh, so yeah. I came six weeks later with some other family members and met my dad for the first time when I was 12 weeks old and reunited with my mum. And then when I was nine, um, I went back to live in India. Uh, and this time without my parents, I lived with my grandparents. Now, in the 70s, people didn't really talk to their children in the way that they do now. So it was very much you know, kind of being told we're going on holiday to India and then a few weeks later being told you're leaving school and you're going to be living there with your grandparents, but we're can I ask, back. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, um, sure. Do you re- recall at that age um, how it was with your parents as far as communication and, and was it different when you went to India because you were with a different generation or was yeah, it similar? Yeah, very different, yeah. yeah. So my, I mean, my parents didn't really communicate a lot about uh the kind of move to India other than to say I was going and that they were going to settle me and then think about moving back themselves hmm. um but my I lived with my grandparents in one flat and my aunt and uncle and cousins lived in the flat below and again there was differences in communication that are culturally based as well as generationally based so and in I think in a lot of countries like India, so I've heard of this in African cultures, it's not uncommon for children to go and live with other family members because of financial reasons, for example, or death in the family. So I had not realised that that had actually happened a couple of times in my dad's family, but it also happened in my mum's family. Yeah, so it's almost the norm culturally. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went to live in India for three years and that was on one hand absolutely fantastic got to know my family over there um, and experience life in India which is simultaneously amazing magical and it, for me it was a bit traumatic because of missing my parents it's a bit of a bucket um, list space place for me I'd love to go sometime yeah it, it's one of those places I think that you either love or hate it's not a middle ground kind of place it's so full of cover color and history and culture and all those things and then side by side you do have the poverty but life is changing in India very rapidly um so when I was in India um one of the things that really kind of came to the fore was my ability to mediate with family members there were some disputes amongst various people in my family and I could often you know even as a kind of quite young 11 12 I was a good listener and I would listen and then I might offer a suggestion not you know in any grown-up meaningful way in a very childlike way um 
the effect of both those experiences of when I was born and then when uh, I went back, I, I came back to London three years later, just after my sister was born, actually. Um, and there's just the two of us. Um, but the effect of that actually quite traumatised me and left me with quite a strong feeling of not being wanted. And really? And you were, you were 12, 13? How old were you at this yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't conscious of it, right? Because that's the thing with childhood trauma. You don't really... Well, it's you what you're used words. to. What everything yeah. that you're going through is, okay, this that's is normal because how do you know any different? Yeah. You're a child. You don't, yeah. right? Unless something like like your move dramatically changes a situation, then you then you yeah. remember something different. But as a child, exactly. whatever you're going through is what you're going through and you don't realize Yeah, that's your experience. You yeah. have no different perspective. <laughs> Until you're my um, age and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to figure out what happened. <laughs> so, so the way it kind of turned up as affecting me was academically. I went from being quite good in school to really not being very good in school and struggling. Anxiety. Um, uh, it also affected me in terms of eating. So I did a lot of unconscious eating. Uh, and by unconscious, I mean I would eat and eat and eat until I was too full but I hadn't really tasted anything. So I was perpetually, yeah. it felt like I was perpetually hungry. I, I wasn't physically hungry, obviously. I was, it was the trauma that was kind of asking to be fed. Um, but I did manage to make it to university. I yeah. went to university to be an accountant, which God help me, I was never going to be either. Your mind um, is probably not that of a, a numbers kind of person. You're more emotional. Uh, no, and I was just like, I can't just look at computer screens all day. That's just not who I am, you know. Uh -huh. um, and so much to the disappointment of my parents, I announced I wasn't going to be an accountant. I kind of didn't pursue that. I stayed in finance for a little while. But while I was in one of those jobs, I met my manager who was studying reflexology oh and uh reflexology I was just I remember thinking this is like completely fascinating yeah and I need to learn this if I don't learn this this would be a huge mistake I had this really strong knowing about it and um just prior to that I'd got married and my husband who I've been married to for many years now he is English and so I'd already rocked the boat for as far as my parents were concerned I bet. because I was kind of married a non-Indian yeah. <laughs> and in the 90s marrying a non-Indian wasn't a thing to do um, but then uh, I then announced I wanted to become a reflexologist and my parents were probably thinking what the hell is going on this is really weird but when I learned it I found this sense of just so much joy and pleasure from helping and it was, helping and I, I can also imagine all right I don't I haven't known you long but the you said you were a very curious person I imagine that learning all of this opened up your mind to e to being even more interested mm. and curious and like what else can I learn I mean I'm, I know I'm putting words into your mouth but I feel yeah, like that's true, what you would yeah. when you're passionate about like wow yeah, yeah. And now uh, I need to know and, more. Yeah. And yeah. I found myself very rapidly, not just wanting to do a treatment, but to wanting to give people more, more than, you know, they're coming with their problems and they talk, you know, it's a bit like going to the hairdresser where you talk, right? Yes. Yeah. 
and I wanted to give them solutions. But what I noticed side by side to that was I was beginning to go through my own journey yeah. of healing. Yeah. And I had gone to see a hypnotherapist about, who did Reiki actually, the two combined, but I went to see it because I wanted to understand about my eating habits. I was really overweight, I was unfit, I couldn't lose weight, I was trying very hard, nothing was shifting. And it was all this emotional weight that I was yes. having. Yeah. Yeah. And that in itself was such a journey of discovery. I mean, I'm still on it and I'm now in my 50s, but the in the early days the thing that really struck me was a how emotions affect your body and your physicality mm-hmm. which I had not understood until that point well, it's so, not something that we're taught so no no um I was introduced to Louise Hayes you can heal your life which just blew my mind I was just like oh my god I use that I use that little bod, uh, book heal your body a lot in my practice yeah, yeah. And on my day to day, you know, like if I'm yeah. having this chronic issue with let's pretend my knee, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what does Louise Hay say about yeah, my knees? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, love it. And then um, I also began to understand in this, my own journey was the effect of intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. So unknown, I had known that my dad as a five-year-old had been sent away to boarding school by his parents. What I hadn't realized actually that it had gone on for another generation above my dad. I also had not realized about cellular memory of trauma. So if you look at, and this, I mean, these things just kind of, it was like little I'm going to say bombs going off in my head of kind of like, good God, if this is what's happening in families and in cultures, mm-hmm. what is that? Why that would explain so much about what people experience today and in the last 30 years when we see about the rise in cancers and the rise in certain illnesses, which prior to say the Second World War didn't really exist in such high numbers. And I began to kind of understand, partly through my own journey as well, the power of conversation, because I had to go back to my parents, ask them a couple of things about some of the decisions they'd made about my journey when I was a child. How did you feel about doing that? Terrified, absolutely terrified. Not because I thought my parents wouldn't answer, but more because I thought they would be upset with me. Mm -hmm. did you feel like like why why are you questioning our our decision did you feel that or like they feel like you were judging them by asking I think I was worried about them feeling that I would judge them I was also worried that they would think I was failing them by asking those questions I mean I remember being on the phone to my mum sobbing as I was asking the question it was very very Um, challenging for me to do and I see this in my own work you know I sometimes say to people you need to go and talk to this person and they're like I can't do it and I I wonder though to hold your hand but I wonder though when you are talking to your mother about this and and of course she had she was um, very emotional about it if that maybe started her own healing with the decision yeah well it certainly helped my dad um, because my questioning showed him the power of conversation and that it was safe to talk about this stuff and as a result he began talking to my mum about some of his childhood experiences he'd actually experienced some really horrible things in his childhood 
and it was you know that was I think quite healing for him I think it made my mum realize she still had a bit of guilt about it but it made her realize that um some of the decisions she made at with the knowledge she had at that time, which she thought were right, were probably not so great. But that's but all we do. What? That's all we can do is make those decisions yeah. based on what we know at the time. Exactly. And actually, part of the journey that we have as individuals when we undertake a healing journey is to say, um, okay, that happened to me. Now I can choose how yep. I'm going to respond to that, right? How yep. am I going to choose? So I could choose to be really bitter or I could go, okay, Actually, what came out of this was I have a really deep understanding of what trauma can feel like. And a bit of empathy for your parents for making a hard decision. Yeah, empathy for my parents. I have an understanding Mm -hmm. that parenting is a tough gig. I'm a Mm -hmm. parent myself, but I understand parenting is a tough gig. Well, usually my daughter's on this podcast with me, but she's not here right now. Okay. Um, I'm a parent too. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And, and you kind of understand that they're human and they make mistakes and, and you can be that bigger person and forgive them for making those mistakes because they were doing the best they could. Even mm-hmm. if their best was really rubbish and at poor level, they were still doing the best they could. Right. People but don't wake up and say, today I'm going to decide to suck and make everyone's life miserable. Exactly. Exactly. Nope. So, um, so after I learned reflexology, I learned Reiki, which is a Japanese form of deep sea self relaxation. Are you a Reiki practitioner? Well? I'm a master teacher. Yes. Yeah. So same here. So a couple of years after learning, I became a master teacher. Then I learned a technique called the Bowen technique, B-O-W-E-N. It's great for physical pain, but I also found it very good. I found it very energetic in its feeling when I was working and I could feel the energetic shifts in it um, and then I also learned hypnotherapy as well a technique called the free mind hypnotherapy system and free mind did you say free mind free mind yeah free mind um, and interesting through all of this the thing that was really constant was my desire to help just grew I began to realize that I really liked complex cases. So people, I didn't want to just do a relaxing treatment. I wanted to solve problems, create change, be someone who someone could come to and know that they would get a different outcome than uh-huh. they'd ever experienced. Um, intuitively, I was in my workspace, I was getting a lot of guidance for people and it just was spot on each time. Even I was a bit like, how is this working? Because I have no idea what's going on, but it was really kind of, it would come through in a workspace. Um, And then in the last couple of years, I've been doing higher self-connection work. So I connected consciously to my higher self. Her name is Athalia. She's just great. Um, And I work with other people to connect them to theirs. Oh, geez, I need that. I need that. Yeah, it's great. It's on my list of things that I need to do. (laughs) It's such an easy thing to do. And it's such a wonderful relationship because through your higher self, you can really learn to let go of any residual stuff that you're just hanging on to energetically and emotionally. Um, do you do you help others oh that's right you just said that. So if I were to hire you, you could help me connect with mine. Yes. Okay. Right. So I know know um, a lot of people who need that. Um, so yeah, and in, you know, over the years I've done various courses and I did a business coaching course where I was 
being coached and they kept saying you've got a niche you've got a niche and I was like I don't know how to niche I help women who've got endometriosis or PCOS I help people with irritable bowel syndrome I help people who are bereaved I've got I help people with motor neurone disease you know as ALS in the states yeah um I help people with you know quite complex illnesses as well and then I realized the thing that threaded through it all was anxiety yep they were anxious about what was the outcome they were anxious about what's my life going to look like they were anxious about will I be able to live my life anymore what will happen to my family continually what? thinking of the future uh things yes, that may or exactly. may not even have have come yeah. to pass yeah come to pass but also they were then like will I make a recovery if they had any yeah. illness that they could recover from and I imagine I someone things? going through such serious medical um issues only think of the future only so can you stay yeah. in the present and how how can your body really truly try to heal itself if you're constantly yeah. in the future yeah yeah and if you're if say you're working with like I work with women with infertility problems sometimes and so they're constantly worrying about their body letting them down so there was this anxiety thread and what I noticed was the two things I noticed one was if I could get to the nub of the problem their anxiety disappeared and the number of the problem always seemed to have occurred roughly two years before their anxiety appeared. Hmm. So if, say, and I learned this, I was at one point in the early 2000s, I was working um, at a breast cancer charity in London. And I was talking to a lady about her breast cancer. And I was like, so what happened before you got breast cancer? And she was just like, well, about two years ago. And then proceeded to tell me how her life had literally imploded and I was like gosh that's interesting so then I started to test the theory out was there something about this two-year mark and it was anywhere between 18 months and two years you would find something would have happened and not only that before the anxiety had occurred the body would be showing signs of stress right we just don't wasn't necessarily picking up on it that's right? right So before their cancer appeared, they might have had a flu, that a cold they couldn't shake off, which then became a flu. And then maybe they had an ache in their shoulder or a pain in their leg. And they're constantly feeling exhausted and tired. And then eventually they get to this diagnosis of something like cancer. Yeah. But I found if I soothed the original trauma and their worry and anxiety disappeared, their healing became rapid. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute I cure cancer or any of those things. What I'm saying is by removing the anxiety and the worry, what I'm doing is giving the body the best chance to heal itself. Yep. And we are we are all living in flight or fight twenty four seven. Yeah, we are yeah. all living in it. And yeah. well, I can't generalize and say we are all, but even people like us but who many practice are. this and yeah. know what we're supposed to be doing, and even if we do it daily, there's always stressors and things that are quote attacking us on a day to day basis. Yeah, and if we're not in this calm, relaxed, focused state, um our body can't heal and maybe it will heal, but it won't heal as fast. Like you said, your yes. healing was increased or um, yeah. what did you say? Yeah. The healing was quickened. No, you said something else. I forget accelerated. Accelerated. It's accelerated. Accelerated. Yeah. Because, because, <clears throat> excuse me, you're not 
expending energy on on energy on emotions that mm-hmm. no longer are relevant mm-hmm. right because what emotion you know is relevant that. other than you know love <laughs> what emotion is relevant yeah and so the other third thing i understood which to me in some ways is the most important thing as the practitioner is that i see anxiety as a disconnection from god and i see god as love so it's actually a disconnection from love disconnection for love for yourself love for your journey love for your life it's not about love for your family or love for your job it's about love for you what lights you up how are you going to look after yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself and how can you be you know full of joy be a joy spreader, not a misery spreader. Right. right. How, how can you be that kind of person? We can spread misery very quickly. I've seen it in situations where I've worked, you know, situations in social situations, people, the moment they start talking about the, all the awful things that are going on yeah. or the awful, whatever, everyone joins in like, oh yeah. You know, yeah. The, I think we could probably spread the positivity just as yep. quickly. <laughs> Yep. I haven't seen it lately. I'm trying. <laughs> I think I'm a lot trying. of it is how you, so a lot of it is looking at perspective, points of view, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. my, my husband, for example, is quite obsessed with Brexit and, um, and various things like that. And I said to him the other day, it's really interesting. You're really interested in the overview of Brexit and how it's going to affect us negatively. And I really don't care about it. What I'm interested in is the individual. So you have a macro view. I have a micro view. And I said, I can't affect that Brexit has happened in the UK. I'm really disappointed it's happened, but I can't affect it. What I can do is I can affect individual people Mm -hmm. with how I interact with them, whether it's through work or through my personal time. And I can make a difference to how they feel. Right. That's what I can do. That's how I can empower myself and empower them. I agree. And that's also important. You know, when you're working with anxiety, people with anxiety is like. One of the core things is how do you empower them to love themselves again? How do you give them the courage to say, actually, I'm worthy of God's love. I am always worthy of God's love. Even when I thought I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I still was. Right. right. Mm-hmm. God hasn't changed his mind about that. It's just no. you need to realign yourself. Mm-hmm. We need to change our mind about that. <laughs> and that's the change of perspective, right? I that's love the that. From the point of view. And it's such a simple thing, actually, in some ways. It's a point of view. So you have formed an opinion about something, but mm-hmm. you can change your mind about it. Sure can. Yep. It's so, as easy as and, that. It is as easy as that. Sometimes it takes a bit of practice and a bit of hand-holding from someone. Oh, believe me. I know it takes a lot of practice in my experience, um, but it's it's true. I had was teaching last year. I'm a school teacher, and I took this school this school year off um, to focus on my business a bit more. And for those who are listening, sorry, you have to hear this story again. So (laughs) one day in April of 20. What year is this? 2021. I, um, we have break. We have a week off in April and go back to school. And it was a hard year last year. Um, 
but I had this, like, I call it a come to Jesus talk out loud to myself. I was talking out loud to myself at 4 a.m. in the backyard because I was out with the dogs in my pajamas. And <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> coffee, dogs going to the bathroom, me looking up at the sky and thinking, wow, look at, the, like, I literally was having a moment and I was, I was in awe of the sky. It was beautiful. It was still dark out. Um, so I could see all the stars. And I said to myself, you know, Liz, you don't have to have enemies. You don't have to go to school and be miserable. You can go to school and be happy. You can go to school and just have fun with the kids. You can go to school and not worry about all the other stuff. Just have fun with the kids. And so from that point, I wish I had done it sooner. But from that point until the end of the school year, which was June, so it was only a few months <laughs> I had this whole different perspective because I just decided to stop being so negative it, about it. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it, this? Because just think about the power it gives you when you change your mind like that, right? And not only that, think about the ripple effect it then has on those children. They've not only that, life. let's take them out of the equation because yeah. <laughs> it's all about me. My How I felt after that, yeah. physically, yeah. never mind emotionally. But yeah. yeah, you're right. You know, I'm a, I was a it different... ripples out, right? Yeah. It ripples yeah. out. So it starts with you and the effect ripples out. And what happens is that as you physically demonstrate this change of mind, change of perspective, it empowers other people to kind of go, oh. And not only that, it opens up the possibility of inspiration because they feel happier. So you'll have a child maybe who you don't even know this yet, who felt so good about being in your class between April and June, it inspired them to do something different, which then has had a ripple effect with some other people, right? right. And all the time you're just going around being joyful. Right. That's, your, that's what you've chosen to do. At the very least, not such a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful, that's lovely stuff. And I think yeah, teachers, good. I have a couple of teachers who even today, I mean, I haven't been at school for a long time, but I have a couple of teachers who are very, very influential on me in terms same, of same with me. Yeah. what you can achieve if you persist, keep trying, persist, try it a different way. I needed that when I was growing up because I'd had this challenging childhood. Me too. So yeah. I think, I think if you can have that, that's powerful. A teacher yeah. like that makes all the difference. I agree. Can I ask you a question? I know that's why we're here, but <laughs> have you ever written a book? I, I have. I have written a book. I haven't published it yet. Um, partly because I said to a friend yesterday, it's a very worthy book. It doesn't doesn't uh, do what I want it to do yet. So actually, part of my job of twenty twenty two is to how to rewrite it so it's a bit more inspiring good because I think I really think that the whole idea of your theory of the two years and anxiety I think and I don't know what your book is about um the moment you mentioned that I thought oh that's a book like yeah. <laughs> we need we need to talk to Sonyana about her book <laughs> it's, it's fascinating this two-year thing because it applies to pretty much every serious illness well, sounds I like you have a lot across. of data and I think that you should continue yeah. to do the research and collect the yeah. data and and publish this unbelievable informational helpful mm. book mm. for people they need to uh, it, yeah 
Yeah, it's it's just really, really fascinating to me how clever the body is. Yeah. How what an amazing guidance system it is. Uh-huh. For if we stop and here. listen, yeah. If we yeah. stop and become aware and we quiet down for a little bit, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, and it, it's showing you all the time how you're doing, and we just need to pay attention. What so is that when quote? You, there's a quote that says something like the body or something whispers until un, until it screams. What is that quote? It's about illness, oh, I think. Okay, I'll have to look that up. I'm, I'm going to look it up. Hey, have you yeah. ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score? It sounds like it's right up your alley if you haven't. Oh, no, I've not read that. Okay, I'll look that up as well. <laughs> I'll look that up. That's all about trauma. And it's all about oh, how okay. the cells remember the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so, and it's really interesting because a lot of my understanding is like an intuitive knowing. It's not like I've done tons and tons of courses. It's just okay. my experience you don't need of the... working with people. Yeah. 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 My experience of working with people, my experience of being able to be a good listener, and then intuitively kind of really understanding and trusting, a... trusting your own yeah. intuition. So yeah. you're able to, confidently communicate to the your clients yeah 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 absolutely so yeah so that's kind of my story in a nutshell that's a fabulous story yeah, yeah. I love it yeah. I love it um I think we'll take a quick break now but Sunyana sure. when we come back from the break can you are you prepared to maybe share with a listener um how they can hire you where they can find you yeah, sure. what, if they want to get in touch with you do you work with people mm-hmm. in the states all of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, with this new like technology, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you can work with anyone now, right? Exactly. All right. I'll be right back, everybody, with Sunyana Clark. Be right back. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And we're back. Thank you so much for coming back after the break. If you remember, we're with Sunyana Clark. She is in London. She is a spiritual anxiety coach. And we're going to talk to her on this segment about um, how she um, helps people. Well, we've talked about that already, but how people can get in touch with you, how they can hire you, where they can find you, if you have anything for them to follow, like social media, any of that stuff. And I, I put all of these great notes in the podcast notes. So um, okay. if you're, I always say to my listeners, if you're driving, you don't have to pull over and write it down. Yeah, please don't do anything while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Just simply listen. Um, Just simply listen. Yeah. So, so how can people um, get in touch with you or follow you on social media? If in fact okay, you have a so they presence. can follow me on Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. My business page is Feel Good Treatments. Feel Good? O'clock. Yeah, Feel Good, all one word. Um, my Instagram is called Feel Good N for November 1 4. Feel Good N 14. Okay, well, then I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down. Feel Good <laughs> N as in Nancy is what we say. Yes. 14. And one four. Got it. Numerals 1 4. 
Um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn, if anyone under my own name, Signora Clark. Um, on Facebook, I also have, if anyone's interested in the higher self-connection work, I have a group called the Higher Self-Connection Collective. Is that free? Yes, it's a free group. Higher um, Self-Collection. Connection. The Higher Self-Connection Collective. Thank you. All right. So it's a free group. I do come on generally once a month to do lives and ask answer questions from their teams, from their non-physical teams and their higher selves. I have taught people how to connect to their higher selves. I'm in the middle of creating a self-study course on that so they can kind of find out a bit more about that from that group. That sounds um, really good. I like the idea yeah, of a self-study. Yeah. It's such that's a neat. simple thing, actually. It's a really simple process to do. It just requires a bit of practice from people. For the anxiety work, um, they can either contact me through Facebook, through my business page, or they can go onto my website. Now, I'm going to apologize in advance for my website because it needs rejigging and I have not Mine does had too. time. It's okay. But it is. We don't care about the way it looks as long as we get what we need from it. Right, everybody? Right. <laughs> so it's www.feelgoodtreatments with an S at the end of treatments.co.uk. Um, and generally the way I work is I do an initial free call mm -hmm. uh, with someone who's interested in working with me just to understand what their situation is and mm -hmm. to see if I'm the right person for them. Right. And the thing I say to all potential clients is you need to make an assessment of whether you think A, you can trust me, B, that you want to tell me things that you won't even tell your best friend. Oh, I love that. Because I mean, if you're going to do helps. the work, you have to yeah. go deep yeah. and you have to yeah. share so you so can I've help had, them. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had clients tell me about being groomed when they were teenagers and stuff and no one knew and, you know, how it's playing into the trauma that they've experienced in their lives, for example. Um, so you need to decide that you can trust me and that you want to talk to me and you can be honest with me. And That's the right. third thing is that you're ready to do the work. Yes, and that's the, the part I that's tricky. That that's yeah. the tricky part because people don't, they, they may say they will and they may say they want to, um, but when it comes down to it, you don't want to waste anybody's time yeah. either. Yeah. And, and also the thing I say to clients is I'm not going to work with you forever and ever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to work with you in actually a very focused three-month period. And at the end of that three months, I promise you, you will be a different person. You know what we call that in the education field? It's releasing the responsibility. So it's a gradual release of responsibility. <laughs> the kids eventually need to do that on their own yeah. if they are yeah. able. Yeah. So yeah. now when I work with some, so after the initial 30-minute call, what I do is a two-hour in-depth call with them. Because at that point, that's a paid call. Because at that point, they've decided that, they think they want to work with me and I'm thinking this is someone I can help because sometimes I'm not the right therapist for someone. I once had a gentleman who contacted me and a lot of his issues stemmed around women and I was like I don't think you should work with a female therapist because you have a natural barrier and resistance and I'm going to say stuff to you that's going to challenge you that's not going to help you. So I would then say you need to find a male therapist, for example, mm -hmm. or um, I don't 
generally work with, I'm trying to think who I don't work with. I kind of work with pretty much anyone who I think I can help. But, uh, oh, I wouldn't work with, for example, alcohol addiction, because that's a very specific uh, problem. I would work alongside another therapist who did it. So I would deal with the anxiety while the other therapist dealt with the addiction issues. That makes sense. So, yeah. You see what I mean? So I'm really clear about what I can and can't or what I'm willing to do and not do. Right. But in the two hour call, we explore more about their trauma and we I reflect back to them, my thoughts and what I think. And also, um, if possible, I will give them a treatment as well so if it's online i will flow energy healing to them like reiki or the higher self healing if it's in person then i'll either do some reiki with them or some reflexology whatever i feel is appropriate i work in a very grounded way so people get homework mm-hmm. um sometimes <laughs> I love that. Very, yeah sometimes they get nice homework like i want you to buy some chocolate on the way mm. home or go to the beach and listen to the waves that's yep. nice yep Um, I had a client uh, just before the pandemic who, as a child, loved a chocolate bar called a lion bar. It was kind of a mixture of chocolate and biscuits and a few raisins. And I just said to him, look, why don't you go and buy yourself a lion bar? And he's like, can I? Really? And I was like, of course you can. Go. He ended up buying a huge box on Amazon for it. And and it was great because his delight, his just his sheer delight. The one little thing, and he felt like he couldn't do that or didn't even have the thought to. This reminds me of a happier time. You know. Wow. So um, sometimes I'll say to people, you know, I want you to go home and I want you to run a bath and then I want you to sit there and I want you to let the tears run because that's what needs to come out and they're like oh I can't possibly cry I was like trust me the water will help you know and if you so take a shower then you won't even know that you're crying yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the homework is more deep so well recently I've just said to someone I want you to create a Pinterest board because she's trying to buy a house and it's causing a lot of stress in and amongst everything she's come to me with the mm-hmm. house is something she's really focused on so it's like share a Pinterest board with me and she's like, you want to see my Pinterest board? I said, yeah, of course I do. I'm fundamentally quite a nosy person because I want to know what's going on in your life. How do you think I got into this business? Yeah, exactly. Of course I want to know that. So some homeworks seem almost kind of um, fluffy. People say to me, that doesn't seem like very deep work. And I was like, no, it's not necessarily deep work. But it's not what they're doing. Happy. It's yes, it's it's the outcome it's or it's the generating. reason. Or the, yeah, 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 yeah what it's generating yeah and then other times I will ask people to go and do harder work so this lady with the Pinterest board I said to her, you need to go home and have a conversation with your husband because I don't think he understands how strongly you feel about this specific thing not the house it's something else mm-hmm. and you need to really convey that to him mm-hmm. because if he does not know he cannot choose his reaction and we can't hold him accountable for how he's not responding or reacting to how we feel about this if we don't tell them right so um and she I messaged her a couple days later so in between my calls with people I'm on whatsapp support quite a lot with them and she was like I can't do this I was like you can do this because I'm right behind you energetically I'm propping you up and you will do this 
So I, she wrote a letter and then she burnt the letter and then she just one day just blurted out in the car to her husband. But she yeah. said, and she said she'd spent the whole weekend before that crying about it. I was like, but you did it? She goes, yeah. I, I did ask her, was I more scarier than your husband? She went, no, 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 it wasn't that you're scary. <laughs> I just wasn't sure what you would say. But so the other thing I say to clients is, at the beginning of the three months of working with me, you generally love me. By the end, you're really happy to see the back of me. Oh. That's the case. I've done my job well. Yeah, I've yeah. Done what I need to do to help you. I, I like to work with very specific outcomes as well. So I'll choose two or three outcomes from what they're saying. That makes sense too. Well, you don't want to focus on too many. Yeah. Exactly. So in general, people work with me for three month blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked with people for longer when they've come with very, very complex cases. And do they and come have, back if they do three months with you? Do they come back for more if the more um, things come up? I mean, you, would you would you allow that, or are you are you? I would allow it. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, they don't seem to need to. They might mm. contact me. Like I have a guy who I've worked with on and off for a period of time, and he never did the three months. But it's like we spread the three months out over four years wow so he comes back <laughs> periodically but actually part of the reason I think he's not needed three months is because he's been really willing to work on himself do the work between our sessions that's good and so uh, late last year I was just like do you know what I don't think you really need to see me anymore you've made such a leap forward in your understanding you're done you don't need me anymore. I said obviously if you need me I'll be in touch you know but I don't think you need to think about coming to see me regularly um, that's fat. That's really great. Yeah, because because my ethos is: Am I empowering that client? Am I giving them sufficient tools that they can help themselves? Am I sorting out, setting them off on a path that can that they understand if they maintain their joy, their self care, their self love, that alignment to love, that they can move forward. And if I've done that, I've done my job correct. Yep. Yep. And, and, and at the very least, they notice when they're not feeling that so they can figure out how to switch, you know? Yeah. And, you know, life isn't all about roses and sunshine and all of that stuff. Oh, we have to go through yeah. all the hard stuff and we have to figure out how to notice it, um, respond if necessary, uh, process. And, and it's also knowing sometimes when to ask for help. Um, an example, 10 years ago, my dad died really unexpectedly and this year is the 10th anniversary, sorry, last year was the 10th anniversary and it triggered me. And so I was, and I couldn't quite shift past it. So like I arranged to see my old bereavement counsellor, not because I need endless amounts of counselling. I just need to change a point of view, a new perspective on 10 years, like how can mm-hmm. it be 10 years without him, right? And that's that's okay to do as well. It's mm-hmm. the you know, understand when you need help and then mm-hmm. find the right person to help. Right. I love that. Yeah. It's because not all therapists are right for everybody. Right. No, no. You know, I'm a Reiki master teacher. I teach in a very grounded way. I don't do candles. I don't do the incense. I don't do any of those things. I'm really about hands on. What's your hands on practice like? Do you put hands on every day? 
How do you know what the ebb and flow of the energy is? Do you talk to your Reiki guides? Do you do that? You know, it's very, very practical, my Reiki, because I, I think mine is too, actually. And I feel like I'm different from others, which is interesting. Yeah. I'm so glad to talk to you about that because I've, uh, the name of my business is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And the only nice. reason why I called it that was because I want all of this to be in the mainstream. It was almost yeah. like, yeah, like no, perfect. Tricking people into thinking that what I do is quote normal, which it yeah. should be. Um, but I feel like I am so, somewhat grounded in real life. And I, I actually just bought incense for the first time in my life recently, and I rarely use it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm like, I, I feel like I am more grounded in the practice. You're right. I'm very traditional. I'm very hands on. I can't do it without my hands all over someone. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, that and sounds I, really bad, but you know, like, yeah, I'm not saying that the other ways are no, wrong. Not at what all. I'm saying no. is they're not right for me. And so the students I attract, they, they might go on to develop an interest in crystals and candles and all of that. But what they learn from me is the thing they need to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the same way with the anxiety work, they might go on to see other people, other coaches, whatever, but what I'm teaching them is, what they needed at the ground level mm -hmm. and I've got rid of their trauma I've helped them get rid of their own trauma I, well, I will also priceless. say I don't get rid of anything no they they've work. got rid of it yeah, they've they done work. the work I've facilitated that process you've recognized and given them tools that's yes. amazing yes. all right you ready for my last three questions yes yes Okay. I ask everyone. So if you've listened to an episode, you might've heard them before, but maybe you didn't listen to a full episode and maybe you haven't heard them yet. So when you are at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing? Oh, that's a really good question. When I'm at my peace, most peaceful, I am connecting into my soul and my higher self. That's when I feel just joy like in the most deep like a wide ocean kind mm -hmm. of deep peaceful connection yeah that's beautiful um and a book would you recommend a book to anyone one that might change their lives maybe perspectives maybe uh, thoughts so I would always recommend Louise Hayes you can heal your life <laughs> there's another book um that I would recommend. Uh, it's called, it's by Iyanla Van Zant, who's an American author. She was on Oprah many years ago. And she wrote a book called um, One Day My Soul Opened Up. And it's about her own journey, actually. It's quite autobiographical. But what I found in it was that she just kept searching and finding her own solutions she understood a lot of what she needed was already within her mm -hmm. and I think that's what a lot of us lose we don't trust that yeah and, and, and I yeah yeah and I found it a very powerful uh, book and then the other thing which is not a book uh which I've mentioned to you is I would recommend Brené Brown's talk TED talk on compassion such a powerful talk delivered with great humor mm -hmm. um but the power of compassion for yourself and your own journey is powerful as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny because we're taught not to look inward and not to focus on ourselves at all in our whole lives. And now at this age, again, I, I said it before, but it's funny, a lot of women and some men at this age really are like, well, I'm going to start focusing inward. And when we start to do that, 
it's unbelievable what, what we see when women step into their own power and understand their purpose and, and start working toward it. I mean, we can you literally... Look at his, historically, when we lived in caves, we had rituals around childbirth, yeah. teenage, being a teenager, so menstruation age normally, and then menopause, right? And menopause was the time when women stepped into their power because they relinquished childbearing mm-hmm. and the need to be the mother figure in the mm-hmm. same way they've been when they were raising their families. Mm-hmm. And I think today those rituals are lost in the mm-hmm. busyness of everyday life. But if people can go back to some of that, they'll find their own power as well. I love that. That, that makes perfect sense. The things that I've been saying for years about what I was just saying, <laughs> you know, women at our age, all of a sudden, where if we had children, we no longer have that responsibility of caring for them daily. And then we decide, well, what's in it, like what's going on with me now? Um, but that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last question. Um, okay. And I, I know, I'm, I think I know your answer. If money wasn't an object, what would you be doing? a really challenging question because it's hard to condense it right but I guess what I would be doing is creating a movement of joyful empowered people who would be just joy spreaders around the world that's what I would would join I would join that movement that's that's we can still do that you know without money we can still do that yeah right it's something I'm beginning to work on I'm doing some work uh, with a couple of coaches at the moment, which uh, the course is called Change, Evolve Change Makers. And it's a really fascinating course because it's about helping us step into our power, helping us to be who we really are and not any dumbed down version, washed down version of ourselves. Or insecure and, version or questionable version or an unsure yeah. version. Yeah. And it's knowing that you are here on this planet at this time because you as an individual and your energy was required. That's right. Well, you weren't an accident. You didn't no. arrive here by accident. You are here because something that you bring to the human race, to the planet is needed in this minute and this moment. That to me is like priceless. You know, if, he, if everyone understood that, think how it would change them it would change the world yeah yeah Yeah. we can do it yeah and and you look at people who are living in really difficult circumstances where it's a militarized zone or in abject poverty and yet from there comes innovation comes amazing ideas compassion comes compassion compassion and kindness kindness. yes yep you know the you know, so if they can find those things within themselves in those kinds of circumstances and the rest uh-huh. of us who are not in those circumstances, we should be able to do that as well. Right. Period. End of story. <laughs> it has been such a pleasure to get to know you. And I'm sure yes, I speak for you. all of my listeners, too. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I wish Britt was here to meet you. You're super inspirational, but I hope Thank she'll you. listen to this. You're welcome. I hope she'll listen to this episode when it gets released. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with anybody out there before we close up? 
I think the thing I would say to anybody is don't live with your anxiety. Talk to someone, right? If you have an anxiety, I guarantee you someone else you know has it. You are the person, you as that person are wonderful in all your anxieties. You're still wonderful. You're still, mm-hmm. don't let it define you. Be right. more than your anxiety. Right, because you are. help out there. Yeah. Yeah. Your anxiety doesn't define you. There is help for you out there. Gladly. Anxiety yeah. and depression are liars. They tend to make you believe that you're alone in your situation, but you're not. And connection, not connection um, with the right people will help you to realize that. And connection actually is one of the ways you defeat anxiety and depression. Yep. yep. Because it's in that connection, your heart will open up again. Yep. I, I say this all the time. And yep, connecting, connecting, connecting. If you don't have someone to talk to, find someone to talk to, you know. So, well, thank you so much again. It was really thank a pleasure to get time. to know you. Um, and everybody else, we're going to get going, but I will be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening. And here I am. I am back. Just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.